this is Austin. And this is Joey. And you're listening to Dark Sign Hero. Today we'll be talking about The Legend of Zelda and a bit about Tears of the Kingdom. Joey, I am ready when you are. Let's do it. Let me give you kind of a, a brief rundown of kind of the whole thing. Okay. Um, I think the first thing you should know before I give you kind of the quick history um, <clears throat> is that Breath of the Wild is a huge departure from what Zelda games actually are. And there's a lot of people, myself included, that think Breath of the Wild is a really, really good game, mm-hmm. but it's not a good Zelda game. Okay. And what I mean by that is that the previous games weren't like Breath of the Wild at all. Um, they were not completely open world like Breath of the Wild is. Um, mm-hmm. They they had kind of an, an, an overworld and stuff, but what really the big draw for every Zelda game before Breath of the Wild was the dungeons. Okay. Um, they were the dungeons are scattered throughout the story and the world where you're kind of going through the overworld doing some basic tasks, you know, lighting a lamp to solve a puzzle or cutting grass for rupees. Um, and then eventually you get to what you really want to do, which is get into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. So you can, and at the end of the dungeon, um, you get probably, I think like a, a gear or an item or something. Um, and then that progresses the story so you can get to the next dungeon and so on and so forth. And now the dungeons are filled with like puzzles and intricate ways of solving it and getting through the area. And that's something that Breath of the Wild actually really doesn't have, uh, at hmm. least not in the same quantity that the that the older games had. Like, for example, um, the older games, I think, had like, like, for example, Ocarina of Time. That one, I think, had like 12 or 15 dungeons. I'm sure that's that's a wrong number, but it, it's rough. It's way more than what Breath of the Wild had, has, which is basically only four. Mm-hmm. In Breath of the Wild, you only have four technical dungeons, and they're called the Divine Beasts. And so going from, like, you know, 10-plus dungeons in a game to only four, it's a big shock. You know, it it's a very different way of playing. But anyway, um, and also there was a very uh, tight story in each of the Zelda games before Breath of the Wild. Like, there were cutscenes and dialogue, um, and characters grow and and uh change and morph throughout the story link even has has his growth and and learning whereas all of the story and character development in in previous zelda games was kind of thrown out the window um for breath of the wild now don't get me wrong there's a little bit of a story in in breath of the wild there because you you can go find memories and you'll have a cutscene. but compared to the other games it's it's very light you know, there's not much to it. It's much more just kind of being in a world. So that's one thing you should probably know. But anyway, to kind of give you a a brief history and for the audience as well, um, I'll just start with the creator. His name is Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, he, uh, as a young boy, um, he spent a lot of time exploring the hillsides, the forest, and the caves around his home in Sonobe, Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a lot, a lot of adventures, you know, just going to the forest, the caves, the rural villages around, and he was always exploring outdoors, and he was rarely home. Um, and, uh, I can't even imagine, like, the imagination that, you know, inspired him you know as a kid seeing all this amazing cool you know stuff right out in the wilderness and stuff mm-hmm. and it really developed him uh as a as a person and his imagination as he grew up and made you know zelda and everything 
Um, and also, just to give you an anecdote, he said that one of the adventures that really stuck with him was when he was just exploring a forest um, and that he didn't usually go to, but he was just exploring one day and he found a huge cave entrance in the middle of the forest. He he had no idea about it. No one told him this was here. And he was actually a little scared to see this huge, gaping, dark cave in the middle of this peaceful forest. He was really hesitant to go into the cave at first because, you know, he, he thought something creepy could be in there. He'd get hurt. But he just, he had this huge desire to know what was inside. And so after a few days of building up his courage, he t he finally took a lantern and went into the cave. And he explored its depths uh just to put his mind at ease and also to say that he did it, you know, and that kind of feeling that set, that sort of exploration and adventure and possible, um, possible like danger basically. So like there could be something he had to fight off or something. That's, that's core to all the Zelda games, including breath of the wild. Um, if you ever do play the other games, you'll know exactly what I mean, but it's, as for the game itself, when he grew up and, you know, was with Nintendo and, you know, pitched him this idea, he was directly inspired by the works of J.R. Tolkien, so Lord of the Rings, and the games would take place in a world like medieval Europe. Um, and so, of course, he throws in the fantasy and stuff, which is the attribute to Tolkien, so Lord of the Rings, um, So because there's monsters and magic and things like that. And, of course, the, the Master Sword, which was directly inspired by the King Arthur tales of Excalibur. And also, Link himself was inspired by Peter Pan, and his fairy was was inspired by Tinkerbell. And you can see see that directly. I mean, he's dressed in all green, and usually there's a fairy and stuff. So it's pretty cool how that worked out. And also, Zelda the Princess was actually inspired when he was researching what to name the princess, and he, he was he heard the name of the American novelist Zelda Fitzgerald. And Miyamoto thought the name sounded pleasant and significant in his own words. And so that's what he named her and, you know, also named the series. And so that's kind of the, the basic, like, how we built it up. But anyway, so we started with the first game, which was on the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And compared to what it would become, you know, with Ocarina and Breath of the Wild eventually, it was it's a far cry. And it's hard for people to get into that game. If you ever look up uh, footage or gameplay of it, you'll see that, you know, they were really, really working with a lot of limitations. But at the same time, no one had ever played a game where you can explore a world like you could in the first, very first Zelda game in the 80s and fight monsters and solve secrets and find and uh, or uh, solve puzzles and find secrets and things. So it was, it was a big kind of a revelation to gaming. It was like, oh, my gosh, games could be like a, a legit adventure and, and it's real time it's not turn-based you know you you like when you hit the button your uh, link on, on the screen swung his sword it was immediate it was fast paced and it, it took some skill to really really get to or get used to hmm. and so of course the story wasn't really that fleshed out back in the very first game there wasn't much to it you basically maybe find an npc or two and then you might buy some items or, or grab a sword or something and you're kind of just left to explore the world and, you know, but people loved it. It was really, really fun. And of course they loved it so much. They, they just made a second one, which I'm not going to talk about it. That game isn't my favorite. It's very different. Um, for one thing, even the title is different. It's not called the legend of Zelda. It's called the adventure of link. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not going to talk about that, but the third game, which was linked to the past that was on the SNES. So the next console after the NES, 
And that game really was when um, everything people have come to know or get used to with the with the Zelda series is it it showed up and was really becoming um, extremely grounded and like really fleshed out in, in Link to the Past. And and I love that game. That's a really really fun game. It's it even holds up today. Like if you picked it up and played it, like you could get, actually get into it. You know, it's it's not as hard to get into as the the first two, and it just looks a lot better too because it's just it's a little bit more graphical uh, fidelity. It's still pixels and stuff, but it still looks good. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, there's a few other games. I think Link, Link's Awakening came after that, but this is the one that also changed everything. This was now on the N- N64, and I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called the Ocarina of Time. You've heard of that game, right? Yeah, I've heard of that one, and of course Twilight Princess. So, oh yeah, that would yeah. be the two I've definitely heard of. So Ocarina of Time was the very first 3D Zelda game, and it was also one of the first 3d games to really have decent sword fighting and um it changed everything and they really pushed the bar there mm-hmm. and of course it's it's a landmark if you look it up and look for best games of all time ocarina is going to be there for sure and it really deserves it because it's hard to find any other games in that era, if any at all, that did what it did. I mean, you have this massive world, you know, have money, you have to spend it wisely, you have to fight these monster monsters and bosses in a really engaging way. And also the story was really, really engaging, like it hooked you. Like a lot of the people, uh, some of my friends included, they thought other games did the action a little better, but the thing that kept them playing was like, what is going to happen? I need to know what's going to happen in the story. You know, the story was really, really tight. I'm not going to spoil it. You guys should play it. Um, but yeah, that one is a, it's a landmark. It's definitely a classic. And also the sword fighting for the game, they had a lot of trouble trying to figure out how it was going to play because I mean, this is new territory, new ground. I mean, this is leaving the days of 2d, gaming you know from the snes and stuff to 3d and it was really hard for the japanese dev team to figure out what would feel right and still uh make sense in the game world you know and so they decided to focus on single combat fighting um or samurai fighting called chanbara which is based off of the uh, classical japanese in real life sword fighting style where you Mm -hmm. focus on one enemy at a time and move on to the next and it really fits. It's a great game. And of course, Majora's Mask came after Ocarina of Time. Everyone says it's better than Ocarina. I can't comment because I've never played it. I know I'm going to get flack for that. But it's a great game, I'm sure. Um, I've pl- I I take that back. I've touched it. I've played the game a little bit at friends' houses, but it was so different from Ocarina that I couldn't get into it. It's much more dark. Uh, everyone says it's probably the darkest Zelda game ever made. Um, but yeah, it's, it had, it had a gimmick where you have three days to basically beat the game in the game. You have three days and it's a real timer. And if you fail, then the game starts over, but I'm not sure how that, how that really works out. I need to play it, but it's on my list. And of course the one, the game that came after was the wind waker. That was the first Zelda game, uh, on GameCube. It was poorly received sadly that does not mean it's a bad game i think it's a great game but the art style really turned a lot of people off it has this cell cell shaded really cutesy kid looking art style um which made it sell really poorly um now that doesn't mean it's a bad game it just really didn't sell well it didn't interest people 
And at this point, um, since it did so well dismally, there was serious thought to ending the whole series because they thought, oh, well, people aren't interested in Zelda anymore. But Miyamoto, uh, the original creator, he wanted to try one last time. And if the next game did not do well, then they would end the entire franchise. So they decided to go the complete opposite of what Wind Waker was. They went with a very dark art style, very mature, um, very adult tone. And this whole kind of darkness would take precedence for the next game. And that game was Twilight Princess. And of course, I'm sure you know, it did amazingly well. It sold tons. Anyway, I loved it. And that's actually the first Zelda game that I ever beat. I have a lot of fond memories with it. I played it on the Wii. I didn't know at the time that it was mirrored because it also released on GameCube. And since Link had had, um, always held his sword in his left hand, when they ported it to Wii, they the big demographic of people were not left-handed. They held the Wii nunchuck or joystick uh, or controller, sorry, in their right hand because a lot of people are right-handed. So they had to basically, in development, mirror the entire game. So flip it, okay, so that Link was was right-handed with his sword. And it, hmm. it did some strange things to the world. Like it didn't feel as... as um, cohesive um, because everything was mirrored um, mm. from the original design but you know what i didn't notice it i i love that game i played the heck out of it took me like a month or two to to get through and some of those puzzles man like i think the water temple like they it really pushed me and you know but i didn't look anything up i made that made sure i didn't do that because i could do it you know <laughs> right but it, it was really fun the story i'll never forget it and uh, I really, really, really want it to come to Switch, man. I would, I'd play it, pick it up in a heartbeat. But so far, it's only been remade on Wii U. It's, it's interesting now that you mention it. It's interesting that they don't. I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, from like you know where we work at, it's yeah, interesting to see that. I've only seen like the Breath of the Wild on the Switch. I'm, I'm sure this. I mean, I'm sure if they did have more Zelda games, I'm sure that we probably would see a lot more of it but yeah we've yeah seen like breath of the wild and then uh link's awakening is also another one there's also skyward sword skyward on switch sword, thankfully that, that yep yep um yeah dude yeah. yeah it's kind of interesting because you know it's you know kind of a side note because the switch has a lot of mario games of course it also has other big names like Skyrim, kirby kirby and, uh yep. what yep. else is there just a bunch oh, of Luigi. bunch of uh, fun games to play on there, but yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned it because I've only seen Breath of the Wild, Link's Awakening, and Skyward Sword. I know. I wish there was more Zelda games on Switch, but I guess technically, I there is Ocarina and Majora's Mask on Switch, but you have to have the online Nintendo strip strip subscription to to oh. play it. So I I really had a lot of fond memories with Twilight Princess. It was my favorite game back in the day. Of course, other games have topped it. Um, but Twilight Princess is very, very dear to me. Um, and also, it sold extremely well, and it saved the entire franchise. And with that game, they no longer have plans on ending it. They kind of realized, okay, a Zelda game could do pretty poorly, but as long as we make something good after that, it'll probably come back. So at this right. point, it was in a very good position. And so the next mainline game, there I'll skip over the DS games. They were great, too. Uh, but the next mainline console Zelda game was Skyward Sword. Uh, that game came out in 2011, and um, I was super hyped for it. And when it released, um, I loved it. Okay, and I, I, I'm going to get some flack for this. I never beat it, 
mainly because life took over and a lot of stuff happened and I never not never got around to going back to it but um mm. I really loved it a lot of people though didn't because it relied heavily on a new way of sword fighting Skyward Sword was the very first Zelda game and to this day is the only Zelda game to have uh full one-to-one um sword combat so it was made for the Wii um, and you had to have the Wii Motion Plus controller, like it plugs into the bottom of your uh, controller on the Wii. And you, when you twist your sword, your sword twists in the game. When you swing it, you know, 45 degrees, it swings and slashes down 45 degrees in the game. And when you when you stab, you are actually stabbing in the game. Hmm. So it was really cool, and I was all for it. But a lot of people didn't want to do that because it kind of required a more active way of playing. You know, it, it mm. if, if you were in some sort of heated battle by the end of it in real life, you are no longer you're, just sitting on the con- controller, you know, sitting back. You're kind of exhausted. <laughs> yeah. You basically so, you just get the, you know, just the life's, I guess, more not life sucked out. You just the energy. You're just exhausted. Like, yeah, you, you literally did to have a little <laughs> have a little bit of energy to, to play the game. Yeah. So it was definitely not a chillax on the couch experience so but you know it's a really cool game i recommend anyone pick it up and it's been remastered for uh for switch and they've included an option to uh just play on the 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 controller so you don't have to like swing your arms around your room to play anymore so it's still there if you want to do that but you don't Mm -hmm. have to now and um anyway of course much later, they took a long break, um, but Breath of the Wild came after Skyward Sword in 2017. Of course, that changed everything. It, it, I think it sold over two, 20 million plus, you know, units. Um, whereas the the best-selling Zelda game, I think, was Twilight Princess. I think that sold something like seven million. And I know these are all raw numbers, but they're roughly this in the in the ballpark. And you know. Breath of the Wild really made Zelda, the entire Zelda franchise, mainstream. It brought people who had heard of the games but never played it. They played Breath of the Wild. Um, it was a big, big departure for for what the Zelda franchise was. Um, if I'm being honest, all the games kind of followed the same template. You 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 start in your little cozy little village, um, and then something bad happens, and you have to go on an adventure, go through all the dungeons, and save the world, basically. Um, that's how they all played, for the most part. Of course, there were little variances between games, but they all kind of followed the same template. But, oh, but Breath of the Wild changed it all, like I like I mentioned earlier. And a lot of people, I'll say it again, think that Breath of the Wild is an amazing game, almost a perfect game, but it is not the best Zelda game, because it just doesn't follow the Zelda formula, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it changed the entire gaming landscape um, for every game in the industry. And uh, it was coined as the first open-air video game. It's different from all the open-world games, mainly because open-air, which was coined by Miyamoto, uh, it fit Breath of the Wild because the exploration and the interactivity of the game world itself was integral to the whole experience. Like, the game world was the character. Link was just the person you were walking around as. The game world felt like the main character in the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why they kind of came up with a different term for it, open air. He felt the other open world games, um, you know, like Far Cry, some Assassin's Creed, um, it felt like the world was just just a place to tell the story they wanted to tell, while Breath of the Wild's Hyrule 
um, felt like the world itself was the story and the gameplay, the real draw. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting. Um, but when Breath of the Wild dropped, it was kind of a vision for what open world or I guess open air games could be. Some games that took direct inspiration from Breath of the Wild are uh, the Assassin's Creed games, anything after Origins, um, the whole Egyptian and RPG uh, mechanics that it, that introduced because of uh, what they kind of shifted with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Breath of the Wild was a big reason why they did that um, because it just did so well. It, it took over the world, it changed everyone. Like everyone was like, oh my gosh, uh, open world or I guess open air games can really be fun because at the time they were getting a little stale um there were a lot of games released that just kind of copy and pasted the same format and um when breath of the wild released it it kind of pun intended it was a breath of fresh air (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it was really really fun and um also all the rest of the assassin's creed games kind of followed after that same template they all have that same open world rpg-ish thing which was different from the previous games as well another series that took direct inspiration was the ocean horn series i think there's only two out so far um but you'll see if you ever look it up they are the art style almost looked like a at least the colors look like a direct copy from uh breath of the wild and also a big one which i'm sure everyone's heard about maybe not played but i'm sure you've heard of it it's called genshin impact that um I'm not going to say it's a direct clone from Breath of the Wild, but a lot of it took extreme um, inspiration from Breath of the Wild. Like you climb anything, fly anywhere, you have a glider. Um, But the big difference is, of course, it's a gacha game. So I'm not a big fan of it. I've played a few minutes, and when I got to the point where like, okay, you can buy this now, I'm like, screw this. You know, so, but, you know, I can't deny it's doing extremely well. Um, it's, I think it's made by a Chinese developer company, but anyway, that's a huge one that took inspiration. And another one was Immortals Phoenix Rising. Um, and that one, um, I've never played it, but I've seen a lot of people talk about it and I've seen some gameplay and it looks very similar, at least how it feels like the gameplay. It feels like Breath of the Wild, except it has a reskin of like all the Greek gods and all that. So I really want to play it. I want to give it a shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with all these, and there were, there's more games, but I'll stop there. Um, all these games, you know, that have taken inspiration from Breath of the Wild, they do a lot of cool things, and each of them kind of has their own twists, um, but none of them really have been able to capture the, the exact same magic that Breath of the Wild put out. Some have come close, um, but no one's really dethroned it yet, which is why this year is such a huge year for gaming because it's looking everyone's looking really really expectantly expectantly to the tears of the kingdom release and on may 12th 2023 it's going to be a very very big day there's only going to be two ways it's going to go at least how i see it um it's the release to the sequel okay of one of the greatest games of all time which is breath of the wild and Tears of the Kingdom is either going to be the best game to come out, it's going to top Breath of the Wild in every way, um, or it's going to fall short. And either way, people are going to have some extreme reactions, okay? Either super happy and addicted or super pissed because it's not as good. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be something people are not going to forget um, for a very long time. You know, if Breath of the Wild is any indicator... Um, Tears of the Kingdom has a lot to live up to.
time for Joey's review on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I would say it's a pretty solid movie in the MCU. It's a definitely a good, I think it's a good start for Phase 5 because that's the first movie that we are going to have. And then following that real quick is going to be uh, Guardians 3 coming out in May. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I thought there were a lot of good moments in it that I think if you, to me, because I was, because my mom got into uh, the MCU and Marvel movies with uh, Guardians 2. And yeah, I thought, because she hadn't seen any of the previous anime movies, one and two. And mm-hmm. I told her she didn't need to worry about seeing either of them. I mean, I guess for some, you know, for a character that they do show in the in the movie, I guess you could w- go and watch the first one. But no, I thought it was a really good movie that I think stands alone, where you didn't need to know anything previous from the other two movies. But it definitely does kickstart uh, phase. I I felt like phase five in a good way, and uh, yeah. I would say it's, so. Is it worth seeing? I'd say yeah. Definitely go see it. Definitely watch it. Minor spoiler, because if you, I mean, yeah, I I would say if you haven't seen any of the Marvel TV shows, I would say definitely start with Loki because there is a end credit scene that has to do with Loki at at the very end. I see. Okay. Yeah. So is uh is it required watching to watch this Ant Man movie before the new Guardians movie? That I don't think so because I think what I'm not sure. Like I said, I've only seen the trailer. I mean, obviously with you know Guardians three not coming out until May. So, uh, mm-hmm. but no, I don't. I'm, I wouldn't say you would have to see Ant Man in order to see Guardians three, because I think okay. they're going to have their own thing going on, especially with how things ended with Avengers Endgame. And of course there were some things I think that are, I'm not, well, I guess not really connected with the guardians Christmas special that came out uh, last year. But, and that's on Disney plus, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. They just came okay. out with that in November, I think. But yeah, no, I, I think it's, it felt, it definitely feels like how the other Ant-Man movies were, like I said, with it being kind of like as a standalone film, but it's it it's like how every like how Marvel does with their movies, they're building up to something big. Yeah, like how they did with Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. But yeah, I think you could definitely just go watch it. You don't really need to know that much about what the previous two Ant-Man fi- films built up. Um. But yeah, it's definitely a solid movie. I would give it maybe, I'd say like a 7 or 8 out of 10 on, for a rating for it. Okay. I would say seven if I, eight. I, I would say, yeah, I would say if I'm ranking the movies, I would say the second one first at number one, then Ant-Man, the first one at number two, and then this one at number three. Mm, okay. But even though I, it's third on the list, it's worth a watch still. Yes. I would say I do love the portrayal of Kang the Conqueror by Jonathan Majors, I think he did very great. And I did love the 
I did love seeing, you know, um, you know, of course, Paul Rudd, because he's, he's an awesome actor. He's very funny. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's definitely good to see him and see, you know, what he's been up to since the events of Endgame. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was a very, it was a very good movie. It's still worth seeing. So yeah, I definitely t- recommend people checking it out if they haven't seen it yet. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you again next week. Yep, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Dark Sun Hero. Stay tuned for next week where we'll be starting on the MCU movie phases. Phase 1 starts next episode. Get lost, Squidward. See you next time.